This is the Cine Snob Podcast. Hello, and welcome to episode 205 of the Cine Snob Podcast. I'm Jared Kingery. I'm Cody Viafania. And uh, happy Easter, Cody. Today is Easter Sunday. He is risen? Is that that's I, something people say today, right? I guess. I've never been even the slightest bit religious, so I don't know. Um, yeah, you know, um, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a weird day. Cause like, it doesn't really feel like anything cause we're still in the middle of this pandemic. Yeah, it really doesn't. But it, but it kind of feels like it's the last of these, ho- of a ho- the holidays we'll have to spend like this, the way people are acting. Yeah. And, and, and the fact that, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but, uh, we're getting our second dose of the vaccine this week. Yeah, tomorrow for me. So it uh, it feels like this might be the uh, the final wrap up of having to do all this shit just at home, not have to see any family or anything, or go out to <laughs> events. I don't know. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird feeling, and uh, and and kind of echoed uh, in the fact that uh, this week. Uh, one of the films we're going to talk about, Godzilla vs. Kong, also opened in theaters and had a pretty giant box office take. Yeah. I mean, relatively uh, speaking, sure. Uh, well, and, and so it made something like $48 million at the box office, which is, uh, from what I understand, obviously the biggest since, I think, Onward was released in March of 2020. And... Uh, yeah. So th- so it's it's 32 million over the over 3 days and 48 and a half million over 5 days and previous to this weekend the largest 3 day start was Wonder Woman 80, 1984 with 16.7 million. So like <laughs> it, it crushed anything in the pandemic era for sure. So uh and and interestingly enough this is uh Godzilla versus Kong actually outgrossed uh the previous film in the series Godzilla King of the Monsters. Uh, which was 40, I mean, excuse me, um, uh, not, I'm sorry, which was like $47 million. And uh, the, uh, like, that was pr- just normal times. That was 2019. So it was no, there was no pandemic. There was no nothing. And this movie actually beat it. So it shows that there's actually, apparently, major pent-up demand to go see a giant blockbuster movie at a theater screen uh on a theater screen when it's actually also playing on the TV behind you, you know. Mhm. Yeah. And and I mean it's it's it'll be weird to see if like later in the year there's any kind of reversal with like you know what what will these HBO Max movies do at the box office I think is my most curious thing because you know, as it rolls on, like, what's Mortal Kombat going to do in a couple weeks? Like, is that going to be, is that going to have big numbers? Or is that one where people are going to be like, oh, I can stay home for that? You know, I have to imagine that there's going to be a few along the way that people will be just fine watching at home. But I, who knows? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, this is obviously the, for the spectacle of it, I assume, is why it did so well at the box office. Because it's this giant monster fighting movie. Um, you know, will the suicide squad for example do as well in at the box office it's again it's rated r like you mentioned the uh what's the other one you mentioned cat issues uh, behind me no it's all good more is mortal Kombat rated r i believe it is right it is Mm -hmm. so those are probably going to be underperforming compared to this but like you know what is the matrix four gonna do and what is uh 
uh, in the Heights going to do and, Mm -hmm. you know, things that, that people wanted to see on on a big screen that, uh, that they're, you know, I get, I assume by the summertime, a lot of people will be ready to go back and, and, be vaccinated i don't know i, I, don't, I don't know it, i mean because i mean regal is opening in in by and large in may i think that's when like the bulk of their theater so some of them opened by now i think the ones here locally are opening like may 7th or something like that so um so it, it will another test will be black widow too to see what true, happens with black true. widow now that that's moving to premier but that, access but that's not opening in theaters is it i think it is i think it, it's opening in theaters where available Oh, is it? I thought it was okay. Maybe I'm getting that confused then. Because Ray and the Last coming. Dragon also opened in theaters too. That, that's right. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, so you know, we've talked about this for a year. Uh, now that your full inoculation is, you know, tomorrow, Cody, mm-hmm. uh, and after the two weeks of, you know, you're supposed to wait. Will you go back to a movie theater? I think so. Yeah, I, I think that I will. I mean, for sure, you know, I want to. I want to rent one, but right. to a public screening, I think so. I mean, I think you know, I will wear a mask and I will, um, you know, make sure that I'm, you know, perfectly six feet apart from everyone else. But mm-hmm. I think I would be comfortable. I don't know. Have you thought about that at all? I've. I have been thinking about because you know the big thing we've been talking about. My wife and I is. Uh, you know, going to visit our family, obviously, because mm-hmm. we haven't seen our family in a year. Um, you know, but then thinking about, you know, that, like, you know, we still go to the store. We still go to a restaurant so long as it's, you know, very socially distanced. But uh, you know, I think finally going back to a theater might be something I'd be willing to do, you know, having that that vaccination and, you know, doing the mask thing, I think it would be okay. I, I don't know if I could, uh, if I'd be comfortable doing the packed screening anymore, mm-hmm. uh, for a while, because that's always, you know, that's most of the time we'd see these movies, we'd see them in press screenings and those are filled to the brim with people. And, you know, you're not, you're just sitting in probably the biggest theater in the house, you know, and it's just crammed full of people. Um, you know, but, but maybe going to one of those nicer sort of boutique style ones. There's a the AMC here by the house is great. I think I've talked about it before that has the big, nice, wide recliners. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so you're never really even like the person you're sitting with. You're not even that close to them. So something like that, I may be a little more comfortable with going back to like the big stadium houses. Um, maybe not so much. Yeah. And I, it'll be interesting to see at what point they keep like are they going to have barriers between the seats? Are they going to leave rows open or seats open? Um, are they going to have the buffer areas? And I think the more that they start getting packed in, I think I'll be more selective with what I do. I, you know, I just don't want to do that. Cause I've, I've thought about too, like, like going to a sporting event. Like, do I want to go to and try to go to like a Spurs game in mm-hmm. a few weeks? And again, if there's space, I will be wearing a mask. You know, at some point a mask and a vaccination is about as good as it's going to get. Yeah, if you want to yeah. be out in public, I mean so, that's probably the the only that, that's ever only as good as it's going to get ever. Yeah, yeah, ever. for sure. Um, so and I, I found I finally found myself like after a year missing a movie theater. Like for a while, I just I just didn't care, um, and I think partially because our access has been so good for the past year, where like 
there haven't been but maybe two or three movies i was like i wish i was seeing this in a movie theater right now um everything else i've been like yeah this is cool i'm happy to watch this at home uh so you know you know it's made me more um open to watching things too being able to watch it at home and we've talked about that with uh, the end of the year award screeners too and you're very frozen there you go you're back you're 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 freezing in and out on the video so anyway uh i didn't know if you were gone um so you know speaking of uh of of that uh one other movie opening on hbo max that we didn't talk about that i'm curious about the box office had a trailer released this week and that's space jam a new legacy uh of course starring lebron james and uh, this is kind of our real first look at actually what this movie is about. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, you're you are an an original Space Jam fan, am I correct? You are very correct. Yes. Okay. I that was I was uh, you know a senior uh, senior in high school I think when that movie came out, so I'm not very fond of it. I mean, I like it because it's terrible <laughs> and it has some really stupid stuff in it. But uh, you are a genuine fan. Yeah, I mean, I grew up with it. Um, I grew up watching it all the time. I played the video game uh, all the time. Oh, I didn't even know there was a video game. I don't know why. It had one of the most famously bad PlayStation games that I played uh, quite a bit. Um, But... um, yeah, I, I uh, and and I, I mean, look, I don't hold it in high regard. Like, it's not something where I'm like, you know, don't sully my classic childhood memories. <laughs> uh, but you know, I'm, I'm, I was interested to see what it would be. Um, and you know, based on the trailer, the answer to that question is Ready Player One. I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's essentially a uh, uh, a journey through Warner Brothers IP. For so for whatever reason, LeBron James's son. <laughs> doesn't want she was all right she was in, she's knocking shit off the desk again that's what the cats do man again that's um, why she's not allowed on the desk <laughs> well it seems to be working <laughs> yeah my parenting skills uh, man by the way that mullet is mullet game is strong look at that well i booked a haircut for the day after my two weeks after the vaccine so uh it's coming off uh soon i had to i had to trim my beard it was getting unruly but the hair has been it's been a while since i've gotten a cut so yeah um anyway uh the uh the premise seems to be different than the original space jam it doesn't seem to be an, a sequel of sorts it's uh it's um somehow uh lebron james and his son getting sucked into like servers at warner brothers yeah a virtual don Cheadle. yeah uh and being subjected to uh every ip that warner brothers owns for example uh the iron giant which i saw a great tweet about this uh this uh over the weekend that (laughs) in the iron giants you've seen the iron giant right Mm-hmm. Like the big deal is he doesn't want to be a weapon of war. Like he says he's not a gun, and mm-hmm. every movie like <laughs> Ready Player One and this like use him as a weapon. <laughs> yeah. Um. And there's there's cameo like fucking Fred Flintstone is in this. Uh. If you look at this the scene, there's like Fred Flintstone. You see um, uh, like Thundercats, and then the weirdest one that I've seen this compared to a lot. So the the movie they famously cut Pepe Le Pew out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, very high profile because of his rapey tendencies. Yet there are the droogs from uh, jo- we sh- Jocelyn should be here to talk about this because it's the the droogs from uh, Clockwork Orange, mm-hmm. literal on screen rapists. 
yeah. are in the background of this scene. <laughs> like, what is Warner Brothers doing? Why are these people in? Like, it's such a weird. Like, why would you ever put the Clockwork Orange people in a kids movie? I don't. I don't understand. I don't know. I don't. I don't understand it. I thought it was fake at first. <laughs> I thought yeah, it was photoshopped, yeah. um, and then I quickly saw that it wasn't. And um, I don't know. I and. and it's so weird to see like Ryan Coogler's name attached to this movie too, because look, I'm, 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 the movie looks pretty bad. I mean, <laughs> based on that trailer, it doesn't look great. And I think part of the charm of the original Space Jam was like the kind of the silly plot of it all, where you know the, a bunch of NBA stars sucked the talent, uh, got their talent sucked away <laughs> by these monsters, and so like you know it leads to some comedy where you have. A weird collection of NBA stars, by the way. Like, oh, they were they were pretty they were pretty lame. It was like uh like it was, Sean Bradley and it was uh, Sean Bradley, Muggsy Bogues, Larry yeah. Johnson, and um, Patrick Ewing. Patrick Ewing, and I think uh, there was one more. A bunch of dudes at their like the tail end of their career. Like, yeah, wasn't was Barkley in it? Barkley, yes, Barkley was in it, but he wasn't one of the five that was. Well, maybe he was because there was he does have like. Um, the, the, the confessional scene in the there. scene that I remember with the five NBA stars is where they're like fake walking down a hallway in the hospital. In the hospital, yeah. And they all hit their heads except for Muggsy Bogues and like fall over. Yeah. Um <laughs> Yeah, and, and and I think that, that that was part of the the charm of it all. And now it looks like, you know, there's a lot of like pure animation where now LeBron James is animated in Yeah, it. I don't understand that part. Yeah, and then and then in the real life like hybrid live action uh, stuff, the Looney Tunes are CGI um, or at least yeah, 3D. They're like, yeah, they're like photo real looking. Yeah, so I don't I don't know, man. I don't I don't know what this is going to be. Also, I don't understand why like like a like the in, in the original Space Jam, the idea of a basketball game actually makes sense, but in this one, the, the like. It just shows a trailer where it's like you're gonna have to play him in a basketball game. And you're like, why? <laughs> what is it? Why? <laughs> it's I don't know, man. I I, I don't. It's, yeah, I mean, the look, the original is a bad movie. Like I, I think there's no getting around it. But it's at least a very of its time, like cultural piece of a bad movie. Because mm-hmm. that's like Jordan on like uh, going into his last season with the Bulls, and like it, it references his baseball career. Yeah, and it sort of had an iconic soundtrack as well. Like that. Yeah. Uh, R. Kelly, <laughs> I believe I can fly. <laughs> yes. I mean, pro- and then uh, the, is it the Quad City DJs with the Space Jam song? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, and then like a an all-time bad performance from Michael Jordan. Uh, some and, r- it, uh, and an all-time great performance from Bill Murray. Yes, I was going <laughs> to say that. My favorite line is uh, like... When he comes, he checks into the game at the end, and they ask him how he got here, and he says, "A producer's a friend of mine. A teamster dropped me off." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very, it's very. Um, there's, there's so many great, weird Bill Murray lines in that movie. Like my favorite is, is when Bill Murray's talking about being like a white, like he's, he's like not being good at basketball because he's white, and. And, and, and Michael Jordan says something like, because he was Larry Bird is there too, and he's like, Larry's white. And, and Bill Murray's line is, Larry's not white, Larry's clear. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's the same one where, uh, or that's the right before uh, Jordan gets sucked into the tune world through the golf hole. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
is it Wayne Knight taking trying to take a picture of him or taking a picture of him? Mm-hmm. And like Jordan gets sucked in, and then Bill Murray, like they're standing there, and Bill Murray deadpans. He's like, "What kind of camera is that? <laughs> <laughs> Don't point it at me." <laughs> yeah, oh, it's man. yeah, it's a that part's very funny. Um, this one, yeah, I, I'm curious how much of it is pure animation because it looks like an awful lot because there was mm-hmm. an awful lot in that trailer. So was LeBron James around for like two days shooting the live action stuff and. Anyway, I, I'm, I uh, this that's a movie for sure that I will watch only because it's on HBO Max. Like I would not go seek that out in a theater. Uh, oh come on! Were were I not? Uh, I mean, if we weren't given a, a press screening of it either, but anyway. well, we'll see. We'll see because um, that is the this is the second of my childhood close to the heart things that are being sort of relaunched this year oh and, the mighty ducks uh yeah what's it called mighty ducks game changers mm-hmm. how is it i like the first episode it's a little bit different though because like the the team that they form in the first episode has no idea what they're doing like they don't even know how to play hockey so i'm a little bit worried that like if they go from not knowing how to play hockey to like winning a league or something like that um it's going to be a little bit are like, they get, lame. Are, are they doing the cobra kai thing is this what this is that what this is I don't know what Cobra Kai does. Oh, because like so, Cobra Kai sort of became the good guys, um, and then everybody, like nobody knew karate, but then it like swept the school and like everybody turned into a black belt essentially. So that they I, have I think massive karate fights. I think that's what they're doing because now in the first episode, the Mighty Ducks are the bad guys of ah. the Mighty Ducks. So like the a kid gets cut from the Ducks and then decides to make a ragtag group of uh, a ragtag hockey team. Um, at Gordon Bombay's ice rink. So uh, there's there seems to be like zero buzz for this show, and I don't know. I don't. I mean, for the right. Pe- I mean, for the right people, there there is a lot of good buzz. I saw a lot of almost exclusively good reviews the week that it launched. No, I'm I not mean, talking about like review. I just mean like there's no like it doesn't feel like there's any kind of buzz like excitement for the show. Yeah, I, I I guess so. I mean, I I don't know if um. I wonder how, like, what kind of, um, like, visibility it has, because I don't really think that it got too much press that I remember seeing. Yeah, I, I don't, don't remember, remember anything at commercials all. commercials for it or anything, so I don't know, and, and, I, and I hope that it finds an audience if it's good. I mean, it's, it's interesting, at least, to see... Um, to see kind of the, the, the brand grow, and, and, and I think, honestly, that movie was really big for for like gaining interest in, in hockey in this country, really. Um, I mean, it, it, it spawned a, a, an actual team. Which, which uh, has a derogatory joke about it made in Space Jam, if you remember. When uh, like they're trying to name the team and, and Daffy Duck suggests the Ducks. Oh, And yeah. Bugs Bunny says that terrible line, like, what kind of Mickey Mouse organization would name their team the Ducks? Like, ha, 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 ha. Ha 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 ha! Because Disney, yeah, Disney owns the Mighty Ducks. Then, or they're not called the Mighty Ducks anymore, right? They're just the Ducks, Anaheim Ducks. They're just the Anaheim Ducks, yeah. and they're not owned by Disney. I don't. I have no idea. Not anymore. I don't think. What a weird evolution that is! It's like to yeah. be a, a to be a named after a kids movie, and then just drop all that altogether. Yeah, because I, if I recall, so the Anaheim, I'm going to look this up, because the Anaheim Mighty Ducks started in 1993, and the first Mighty Ducks movie was 92, in I 92, thought. yeah. 
we my my wife wanted to watch the first one the other day and i hadn't seen it in a long time and it's <laughs> it's not a good, i mean it's i could see if you were a child but those kids are so fucking annoying in the first film look man don't don't bash aberman and it's like watching Charlie goonies Conway. it's like trying to watch goonies now you're like these fucking kids don't shut the fuck up Dude, did, did I tell you that we covered Goonies on Goodwillow Hunting, um, and I watched it for the first time last year? No, <laughs> I hated it. Oh, I, just, I did too. Oh man, I just did, did not like it at all. I think uh, um, we talked about this before when uh, back in the the old days when we were. Uh, it was uh, during Alamo City Comic Con. You remember we had Josh uh, uh, Starnes from Oh uh, yeah Houston Film Critics Society, mm-hmm. and he was wearing a Goonies shirt when we recorded the episode and we talked about it and you know, he's about the same age as I am. So he grew up, you know, loving it. And I watched it for the first time when I was in my twenties and I fucking hated it. And that's yeah, no, the, the kids are so annoying in that movie. That's how I feel about the mighty ducks too. Like they're all just assholes. <laughs> um, anyway. Uh, so moving on to our last bit of news here. Uh, speaking of streaming services, there is going to be at least two more Knives Out films exclusive to Netflix after they paid something like $400 million. I think it was $450 Ryan, million. Dollars. To Ryan Johnson, writer-director Ryan Johnson and his producing partner, I forget who is, who, what his name is, uh, for Knives Out 2 and 3, which apparently will uh, only bring back Benoit Blanc, mm-hmm. uh, Daniel Craig. What... Uh, what do you think about this, Cody? We I, I know you like Knives Out. We talked about this. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I Knives Out was a top ten movie for me when it came out um, a few years ago, um, a couple years ago, I guess it was. And um, you know, it, there was there was conversations amongst like us as I mean, like I like you know our friend James. Um, we were taught he like he was the first one who ever mentioned like I wouldn't mind seeing a Benoit Blanc movie every few years, like you know, mm-hmm. like. Like maybe he comes in and solves mysteries every couple of years with in, in in like you know a new cast a new everything, and it looks like that's exactly what they're doing. Where Daniel Craig's Benoit Blanc character, like you're just gonna have like a Benoit Blanc mystery movie every couple of years, and I think it's a great idea. I mean, I think it's a great way to keep the um you know keep the ideas fresh. I think it's a great way to um you know obviously ryan johnson has the capacity to put together a really stacked cast and i can imagine these things just being you know every few years having this event movie where uh you know you have a giant cast come in and we we know with daniel craig and you put together one of these movies and um i think it'll be great yeah uh it's 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 pretty uh interesting to me that that this was all kind of born out of the the whole i would guess the kind of massive uh troll backlash to the last jedi because this was he was supposed to be uh ryan johnson was supposed to be like kind of in charge of the i would say sort of speak of the of the star wars stuff after that like he was going to have his own star wars trilogy yeah which looks less and less likely to happen even though it's still technically on the books um and knives out felt like this kind of small reset movie when it came out but it, it was great and it had this stacked cast of you know people that you would expect, and then you know kind of unexpected people like Jamie Lee Curtis and Frank Oz thrown in there, uh, and the late Christopher Plummer, uh, Ana de Armas, uh, in in the mystery sort of like worked backwards, 
like because you knew exactly what had happened and then it worked backwards from there um just a really fun movie and uh i I really like uh daniel craig in the movie i know a lot of people don't or some people not a lot of people but some people didn't some people thought the accent was a little much uh, yeah because he's supposed to be like a he's supposed to be like cajun like a like a new orleans guy yeah Um, but but it's almost a farce if that makes sense like it's not quite a farce but it's close the movie or the performance the the whole movie yeah Uh, yeah i would say so i mean i think it's supposed to be um like a like a comical mystery like a dark comedy for sure yeah um but you know i I just you know and i think i mean for me daniel craig's by far the best part of the movie and i think it's one of the best things he's ever done and i think he's just chewing scenery the whole time like it's just such a fun performance and so to be able to see that character come back, you know, I think the biggest thing will be, you know, can he keep the ideas fresh enough? Can he change the structure enough um, for the movies to feel different? Because I think something like this is something we don't really see where your common thread is one character going throughout these movies. And then if you reset the cast, but you keep one character, I mean, how many movies really do that except for, you know, I mean, honestly, I can't think of any if they really reset the entire cast. I mean, um, it's you got to go way back to something like the Pink Panther series mm-hmm. from the 60s and 70s. You know, it's really, which I guess is probably a pretty apt comparison to this. Uh, you've got sort of a, de- a comedic detective thing. Um, yeah, I mean, in this age of everything being like a sequel and interconnected, you know, having the one thread be this one guy. I guess maybe a little bit of the James Bond stuff is like that, where it kind of rotates people around. Yeah. There's a little more rep- um, returning cast members there, but there's, like, I think every James Bond movie, like, resets with him being, like, with a different woman. and Yeah, there's these a last Bond girl. Yeah, these last few James Bond movies have been very interconnected, but uh, I think this next movie is shooting in Greece, so it'll obviously be completely different. I assume mm-hmm. they're using Greece as Greece. I don't know why you'd shoot in Greece if you're not. Um, yeah. But that's good, uh, good for Ryan Johnson though to fucking make yeah. bank on this because <laughs> I think yeah. he own, he owns the uh, the IP. So yeah, yeah, and I think he yeah it was a one off deal with Lionsgate. They said so to do uh, to have these huge movies like this huge franchise on Netflix. I think is a great idea too because it's probably you know maybe best watched on netflix i don't know that i'd say it's weird because it's like you know it's going to get crowded out at a theater well this is a this is one of those so netflix for everything that they've done have been a little bit short on like event movies like big kind of high profile uh blockbustery stuff and this is a legitimate like i mean knives out made a lot of money at the box office like it was Mm -hmm. a huge hit um and oscar nominated hit you know and so um I think this gives Netflix a real kind of like bona fide uh, big movie that they can release. Not uh, the Cloverfield paradox, or no, uh, not the Cloverfield bright. paradox, uh, or bright, or, or Project well, Power. What well, is that? That's the one with Jamie Fox, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I couldn't think of the name of that one. Or uh, Six Underground. Oh yeah, I forgot about that one. Anyway, um, all right. Anything else before we move on? No, I think we're good. Okay, let's go ahead and move on to reviews. Here are this week's reviews. First up, we have Godzilla vs. Kong. We need Kong. The world needs him. To stop what's coming. 
this child. She's the only one he'll communicate with. I knew that they had a bond. She had nowhere to go, so I made a promise to protect her. And I think that in some way, Kong did the same. That was some sick new metal. I was getting into that. Those POD vibes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is, of course, the fourth film in Warner Brothers. Uh, do they call it the MonsterVerse? Mm, Probably. Anyway, uh, following Godzilla, following Kong Skull Island, and following uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters. This is Godzilla versus Kong. Cody, tell us about the film and what you thought of it. Yeah, well, I mean, I think a good title would have been, or a more appropriate title would have been Godzilla versus Kong versus Meaningless B Stories. Oh, zing. Uh, <laughs> uh, look, so, I mean, if you want to try to break down the plot for this, um, I guess we can try to make it its most simplest form where um, there is a, um, a nefarious corporation who is trying to get some kind of energy source from Hollow Earth, uh, which is, I guess, <laughs> supposed to be like the source of all of the Titans, including Godzilla. And it's sort of a um, Lost World vibe. Um, yeah, it's this is very like early sci-fi stuff. Yeah, yeah, and so, and so basically, Damian Bashir is is the leader of that company, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the, a Mexican dude named Simmons. <laughs> yeah, a Mexican dude <laughs> named Simmons, and so they they get uh, Alexander Skarsgård's character to try to go to hollow earth to extract it. So they need Kong to do that, to try to, so Kong can lead them there. And then Kong's handlers played by Rebecca Hall, um, are sort of, um, part of that. Meanwhile, you have a side story with, with Millie Bobby Brown and Brian Tyree Henry and, um, Julian Dennison, uh, who are, um, who are basically trying to uncover the evil stuff that's going on at that corporation. Uh, Kyle Chandler makes a glorified cameo in absolutely uh, nothing to do. Um, <laughs> Millie Bobby Brown is also return. They're both returning. Her yeah. and uh, there, she's yeah. his daughter. Character anyway. That's your so, one carryover from King of the Monsters, I think. Yeah, uh, and so um, the the thing about this movie is that I think if you're strapping in hoping for a massive monster on monster showdown, uh, you'll get it in a very small dose. Um, it's a little bit shocking to me how little of the movie is actually Godzilla versus Kong. Um, I would say maybe 20 minutes of a close to two hour movie is them actually like battling and showing down. And then every other thing is some like, 
boring ass human exposition um, or side quest type thing. And I got to tell you, this movie bored me to tears. Um, I think that it, it takes like, so I don't even think Godzilla shows up until like that C no, he's at the very beginning. Oh, and it doesn't show back up until like the like the sh- ship carrier. Yeah, it's scene. very much a like it's a Kong movie. Yeah, kind of co-starring Godzilla. Yeah, Godzilla is second, definitely second build, which is weird because he's first in the title. Um, but it's he's, a contractual thing. Oh yeah, he has better agents <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. than Kong. Uh, <laughs> but no, this this very much is a Kong movie, and it's very Kong centric, and. Um, and yeah, I mean, I just think that if you it, the monster piece is like, do you want to? Is it cool to see King Kong punch Godzilla in the face? Yeah, sure, it's fun and interesting to see. And and you know, I think it, this is the first time where I think it benefits them to have Kong be as big as he is in this. Because I mean, I think that was a, the first thing about it. I think the, it feels like his scale shifts a lot in this movie. In this movie, it does because there's that one scene where they go and they're about to enter Middle Earth, or Middle Earth, <laughs> a Hollow Earth. <laughs> that'd be Godzilla versus Kong versus the Hobbit um, versus versus yeah versus the uh, oh shit what is Smaug? that called? No, the I, not the shitty one. I'm thinking of the the fuck the you shall not pass scene. God damn it! What the fuck is that thing? Balrog. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Um, but like in that scene, he seems to be a lot smaller than he is in in terms of like, and especially like he's the biggest in that opening scene where he's in that containment thing. He seems fucking huge, and then for the rest of the movie, he never quite seems that big. But, um, but yeah, it, it's where it's cool where you get to see them show show down. But like, man, there is so much side bullshit happening through the course of this movie. Like the whole the whole Millie Bobby Brown storyline is just worthless. Um, in my opinion, uh, and also everything having to do with Rebecca Hall and um, in Alexander Skarsgård, just two really boring characters that have really nothing to do, and it gets so bogged down in the mythology of everything, and you're just like, who cares about any of this? Well, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, no, and I, and I I just found it to be boring. I I thought it was dull for a movie that you know promises the big monster showdown. Um, you know, I can let certain things go and try to have fun with it and, and, and enjoy the spectacle of it. But at the end of the day, there's like, what, like 30 to 40 minutes in, there's a pretty cool showdown that happens on the water and Mm -hmm. then nothing happens for like 40 minutes again. And then you have your big showdown at the end, um, which includes spoiler alert, Mecha Godzilla, which again, I just didn't find the Mecha Godzilla thing that uh entertaining for me so yeah so okay i guess i should start by saying i i liked the first godzilla film in this series and i know you didn't cody that no, was uh, i haven't liked anything here. that was gareth gareth edwards uh directed that and treated it more of a as more of a kind of disaster movie i it, i thought like there was a it was a very um like on the scale of the humans, you know, like you would always see Godzilla from like up uh, or from a distance. Um, I hated Kong Skull. I, I Well, OK, that's strong. I didn't like Kong Skull Island. I thought there was a lot of bullshit in that movie. Um, I hated Godzilla King of the Monsters. That movie was god awful, uh, especially poor Kyle Chandler having to fly around on some stupid plane like this, like mega command plane. Um, this movie I was okay with, 
uh, weirdly. So, so the the films have gone, and it kind of reminds me of the arc of the Marvel films. Like we talked about this on our other show, ReMCU, with how the first Iron Man is very rooted in the war on terror. It's very rooted in like real world stuff. And by the time you get to the Avengers, you know, Tony Stark's armor is like nanobots that come out of his sunglasses or some shit. And, you know, they have all these like hovercrafts and, you know, flying fortresses and all this shit. So it went from being more realistic to being just fantastical. And I feel like that's what these movies did. Like, you know, the whole hollow earth thing. Um, I actually kind of enjoyed that a little bit because it was so fucking weird. Like there's just a, a like a like a ten minute stretch roughly of Kong like roaming around this hollow earth like just kind of bounding around. It reminded me of like uh, you know uh, an early 3D video game where you're just kind of wandering around and looking at how cool shit looks. <laughs> um, not that it was a good storytelling, but it was it was definitely weird and like the weird uh, uh, the not the weird but like the like super sci-fi, whatever they were, those hovercrafts thing, like that were like used nuclear fusion or something to to propel anti gravity. I mean, it was just it just got so deep into that sci-fi shit that that was a little more enjoyable than them trying to make it realistic. Um, but at at the end of the day, you're right. It just it's too much human stuff between these massive fights. And I, I think the fights are really fun. I think that boat one is really great. Um, That's the best scene in the movie. Yeah. Um, you know, and then and then at the end, they're in Hong Kong uh, fighting. And of course, like every movie now, has to evacuate the entire city. I don't know how you evacuate all of Hong Kong. Uh, <laughs> it seems like a massive prospect uh, for these monster fights. But yeah, you know... It, it makes, you know, Kong is the, the protagonist here, clearly. There's some bullshit reason that that why Godzilla turns sort of evil. Um, and then, you know, there's there's scenery-chewing villains, Damien Bashir and, uh, uh, I don't know how you say her name, Isa? Is it Isa Gonzalez? I don't know how yeah. you say her name. Um, who's just ridiculously hard-assed and, like, plays that stupid role of, like, like kill the monkey! Like no, this is the whole point. Like, yeah, she's <laughs> she's straight like Fast and Furious villain in this movie. Like that's yeah. that's her vibe. Yeah, and then gets crushed to death. That's another scene where she, where the uh, Kong scale shifts massively. Yeah, like sometimes he's as tall as a skyscraper, and then he can barely crush something the size of a van. Yeah, uh, I, and and I think again, I I just you know it's it's sort of like your whole um you know shouting tom and jerry at the movie <laughs> and the humans that's what you can do in this movie where you're like godzilla versus kong why the fuck am i watching brian tyree henry and millie bobby brown sneak into a fucking facility for 30 minutes like it's just it's crazy it's it's there's it's so boring at times like there's stretches of 20 15 20 minutes where it's all human stuff that's not interesting yeah uh, and you know as much as I wanted to kind of cringe at the little girl introduced first, like the, the, I guess she's deaf. Mm -hmm. That actually turned out to be one of the more affecting parts of the movie because like she had this bond with Kong as you were told in the trailer. And you're like, Oh Jesus Christ, what's this <laughs> going to be? And it turns out she just taught him sign language, which is actually kind of an interesting take on this whole thing. Um, as opposed to being, uh, you know, psychically bonded or whatever the fuck, the trailer leads you to believe but yeah it's just 
it's I, I didn't hate it like I hated King of the Monsters, and I fucking hated King of the Monsters. I still don't think it's very good, but it is a spectacle at times, and I can see how this is the movie that drew people back out to the movie theaters this weekend. Because yeah. the spectacle is, you know, like I, we said, that boat scene, the boat fight is pretty great. Like, it's a it's a great scene, um, a great action scene, but storytelling-wise, it's just, none of it really, who gives a shit, you know? Yeah. Anyway, what is your grade for yeah. Godzilla vs. Kong? Well, I mean, again, I, I just kind of saw through the the action-packed pieces of it because I think it, 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 it kind of lives for these, like, hero shots of Kong, like, holding severed heads or heads with spinal cords severed from things and, and has, like a, like, a little bit of uber-violence to it. And by the end of the third act, I was feeling like, especially when Mechagodzilla was showing up, it just felt sort of like Michael Bay disaster monster you know, giant things smashing each other type of stuff, like noisy action. And um, and for a movie that promises this epic showdown, it just doesn't contain nearly enough. It needs like one or two more action set pieces in here to really um, to really hit home. I mean, I would rather have that than, Gong, than Kong floating around hollow earth with rocks and shit when in that middle section that you enjoyed <laughs> that I did I, not enjoy. It was weird. Uh, yeah, anyway. Yeah, uh, I get it. But yeah, for me, it's just there's just too much human stuff, not enough smashy smashy. So uh, I give it a C. Yeah, I'm gonna go C plus. I think it's just it's just below being recommended for dumb fun. I think there's just too much of the human shit that that doesn't mean like I guess Millie Bobby Brown was under contract. I mean, why else is she in this thing? Because it doesn't make any sense. Like her character has no like her character doesn't even like con- like they're they're not even uh like directly in contact with any of the monsters at this point like cause right. she was a big part of king of the monsters which i don't remember what she did but like she doesn't even do anything with with godzilla or kong this time and for poor fucking i mean i hope i hope kyle chandler just cashed a check because he's worthless in this movie i mean he's either like on a phone or like i mean to be fair he does he's barely in it but yeah oh yeah and then uh also in the in the uh like main uh credits in the beginning is lance reddick and i think he has one scene talking to kyle chandler Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. anyway also uh, i heard let me check something real quick and i won't take too long on this but um because i heard something um on Twitter, but I want to make sure that it's true real quick. So, um, I heard that, um, there is a character in this movie who was supposed to be the son of Ken Watanabe's character. There's only one Japanese character and it's the guy that, uh, that has the, like that pilots the Mechagodzilla through the skull. Let me see. So Kim Watanabe's character's name was Dr. Ishiro Serizawa. Let me see if I see it in the cast. Um, yeah, Ren Serizawa, the son of late monarch scientist Ishiro. Did you get any... The, the telepathic pilot was supposed to be his son. Did you get that at all? No, no. But I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, being that he's the only Japanese, uh, you know, speaking role in the cast, I assumed that was who it was since you mentioned it. But yeah. Yeah, and it's supposed to be like mildly evil. I don't understand what's happening with that that whole apex thing. Like they're 
they're going out to kill Godzilla, but it's it's got this evil vibe to it. Yeah. Whereas, like, but Godzilla's been killing people and, like, destroying shit, so... Anyway, this is available now on HBO Max if you uh, so desire, or it's at the movie theater, which uh, apparently a lot of people wanted to see it. So let's move on to our next movie, Concrete Cowboy. There's a horse in your house. Oh, that's you right here. I ain't staying here. All right. So once you step out, that door stays locked till morning. Center, all cowboys were black. Even the Lone Ranger were black. <laughs> Who's the Lone Ranger? Really? Are you teaching this boy anything? The history here is deep. We like the Wild West out here. I woke up to the morning sky first. Baby blue, just like we were. I know you. You hops, boy. When I get up off this ground, I should oh, Your daddy got rules that you're not abiding by. Yo, what are you doing? You want to ride the street life? You can't be in my house. You want to wise up? You welcome back. Welcome back to what? I ain't got no home here. That's your choice. Just be alone out here, man. I'm going to get my money, and I'm going to get up out of here. You with me or not, bro? But then she still made you a man overnight. I'm your father. You ain't my father! I mean, you a father to everyone else out here. Oh, you hate me, man. This is a drama uh, starring Idris Elba, as you see there. Uh, Caleb McLaughlin, uh, of course, from Stranger Things. Uh, Method Man's in it. Uh, this is uh, a Netflix original film. Cody, tell us about Concrete Cowboy and what you thought of it. Sure. So it's a it's a film about um, um, the kid that you see in there, Caleb McLaughlin, where uh, he um, he's essentially... Uh, getting into trouble at the school that he's in. And so his mother sends him off to spend the summer with his father, his estranged father, um, who is part of the Fletcher Street kind of cowboys there, which is based on a real thing where there's, in the city of Philadelphia, there are um, people who have like stables in the middle of the city, it seems, and, uh, and um, you know, do cowboy things. Um, and, and so basically... Um, you know he's he's sort of has resentment towards his father played by Idris Elba and um during his downtime spends time with um an old friend of his named Smush who is uh who is sort of uh uh in a gangish like a drug dealer he's kind a of drug thing. dealer who also wants to own land yeah and have horses um I so know. And so basically that a rule of him living there is that he's not supposed to be there. And so he's kind of torn between making decisions on, is he going to be, you know, fall, fall into that sort of drug dealer world like his father once did, or is he going to, you know, learn the lessons that a horse can teach you, uh, about being a better person. Uh, <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, this movie is almost good for me. Um, I think that it has good performances. Caleb McLaughlin is really is is pretty good in it. Um, and Idris Elba, when he's on screen, is good. Um, the problem is that well, there's a few problems. I think first and foremost, I don't with a lot of these movies where you see like a kid latch on to a certain you know piece of culture or hobby or or animal or anything like that. 
a lot of times the it, it's not entirely convincing as to why the like why they're doing it like like the bond or the connection doesn't seem as strong and i felt that a little bit with this movie where i don't really ever know that he ever you know like really has that massive connection with this lifestyle um like the actual horse yeah maybe but the lifestyle i, I don't really know um idris elba is barely in the movie um which is strange because Anytime he's on screen, he's really great, but there's a lot of time spent away from that and like a lot of time with Caleb speaking with, you know, different, um, you know, different members of the cast or, you know, some of the real, you know, Fletcher Street cowboys who are also acting in the movie as characters, who I think all do pretty, a pretty good job. I mean, I don't think that at any point you feel like you're watching a real person in an acting role like you do sometimes. I think it's pretty authentic for the most you part. You see, it wasn't like Nomadland. I, I thought the, mm-hmm. the 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 guy, uh, the, the paraplegic guy, mm-hmm. um, Paris, who looks uncannily like uh, uh, Lakeith Stanfield. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, is that Lakeith Stanfield? And they didn't credit him? Uh, he's a, a real-life guy. That scene is really good yeah. with him. And I thought if more of the movie was like that, I would like it better. But that scene is really good uh, where he's teaching Caleb McLaughlin's character like how to clean shit out of the horse stalls. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's great and he's in that guy, that actor or that guy, I should say that uh, is a good actor in in everything that he's in um in in the movie. The mm-hmm. movie gets a little bit narratively repetitive, I think is its biggest problem. Um and kind of starts repeating itself a little bit showing him, you know, at the stables and then showing him out on the streets and then in the stables and the streets um, and the narrative becomes a little bit predictable. I honestly think any time that you see um, the character of Cole with Smush, the drug dealer, it's just a waste of time, in my opinion. I think you could have had one or two scenes like that, but like there, so much of the movie is those two characters interacting with one another. And to me, it's the least interesting part of the movie, and it's the thing that they spend the most amount of time on. Yeah. Um, and so... I wish that that was like a B or C story that was like, you know, you, you, you could get the sense of it. It feels like you could cut out redundant scenes and have a leaner movie. Um, and, um, and I think it suffers as a result of that. I don't, I I think that it feels long. I mean, it's close to two hours long and it feels it. Um, and for me, it just, it's just like every time I think it's doing something good, it just kind of falls a little bit short. And I think that happens throughout the course of the movie. So I really, I wanted to enjoy it. Um, I think that it has good parts to it, but um, I just don't think that maybe the script is not entirely there um, to push it through. Well, and you know, um, speaking of the smush stuff, which is what I want to talk about, it's probably the single most telegraphed thing in the entire movie. Mm-hmm. Like you, you, you understand that this guy. I think you, you're, you're not surprised at all when the character who is living the dangerous lifestyle who has big dreams uh, is going to meet some sort of tragic end. You know, I don't think that that's really a big surprise to, to anyone at at all in the film that, that this, that, that this drug dealer who this kid who's troubled is latched onto uh, who, you know, the drug dealer has, like I said, like dreams to own a a ranch and raise horses because he used to be part of this Fletcher street uh, riders thing. Um, you know, it's no surprise that he's going to meet some sort of terrible fate um, to teach a lesson to the to the kid. Um, that said, you know that again, that part is the least interesting part because it is so familiar. I think um, the Fletcher Street Cowboys thing is way more interesting, and this community that's built around it, I think, is really interesting 
that uh, I said interesting twice there, but it's really kind of the thing that you don't really see a lot of. And this reminds me a lot of uh, Bull we watched last year, uh-huh. um, where you learn kind of about this this black side of the rodeo. And this is not a rodeo so much as just this this inner city, you know, predominantly. Well, I guess they're all black uh, in this Fletcher Street uh, riders uh, raising horses in the middle of like urban Philadelphia. Uh, I- and sorry, I just I just want to say too, the, the, one of the things I meant when I said that the writing falls it short is that I don't think it does a good enough job of explaining like what they do, like what I, do they I totally do agree on I a day to day basis. Like, what are like is that a job for them? Like, do they like do, do they make money from it? Do they train them, or do they like what do this? What is the function of the stables? They never get into because it, it almost so it almost feels. Like it's yeah, like the the character of um, oh gosh, I can't remember the woman who owns the stable or like owns the horses. Oh her yeah, character's name. It almost feels like she's running sort of a kind of a quasi rehab for people, you know, because um, the character of of Paris, the the guy that's in the wheelchair, you know, his backstory is that he was uh, you know shot, um, and his little brother died, and like it was a drug deal, something like that. Um, and, you know, it's kind of his path to redemption taking care of these horses. And that's, I think, what the movie is setting up for the Cole character. But, yeah, you're right. It doesn't really connect those dots ever because it's spending so much time on this side character of Smush who you, I mean, like I said, the fucking fate of this character is, you know, pretty goddamn obvious. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Idris Elba and, and Caleb McLaughlin are really good together. And, you know, it's it's more, uh, it's very... Uh, frank you know it's it's full of curse words and and drug use and things you know it's very realistic i guess in that sense um it's it's uh, appropriate that someone uh movie based in philadelphia is gritty oh boo that's pretty boo. good yeah um you know it, it, you know it, yeah like you said i don't really understand what the whole deal is with this thing like it's just like why are these people raising horses um you know ho- you know taking care of horses in, in philadelphia and then you know the the character uh, that Method Man plays is a, a cop, and I think he's got some of the best um, like lines in the film. I like Method uh, Man in the movie. Yeah, um, he's got a great line at the end, uh, at the cur- sort of climax when you know something goes down, and he you know kind of shows his true colors um, mm-hmm. as a character. Um, but yeah, I, I I think it's just missing. It, it's it's too long. And it makes its point. I think I told you this. It makes its point way before it realize it. It thinks it's made its point. Like, and it just keeps sort of re- reiterating it. Yeah. And I and I think it's missing some stuff along the way. And it, it, to me, it's just a weird split of the detail because the you know again there's there's a there's a moment towards the end of the movie where um, sort of the stables become endangered a little bit. And again, it doesn't get into the the nuts and bolts of like why or what are they doing about it or uh or you know what the problem like again what the problem is you know there there's some sort of conversations about gentrification that are that's clearly a part of it here but like it just scratches the surface on certain things and like show us more like that's part of what made bull interesting like it reminds me a lot of there's a there was a sundance movie i watched called jockey where it gets into like the nuts and bolts and the nitty gritty of like this jockey lifestyle and stuff like that. When you have like an interesting, like a piece of, you know, slice of life kind of um, look at a culture that you're not familiar with, like give us the details make, make it feel like it feels lived in, but only with like vibe and, and, and um, 
and like um, energy, not with detail or information, which yeah. I think is a bummer. Yeah. Uh, what's your grade for Concrete Cowboy, Cody? Again, like I said, I think it's it, it's almost good. I think it, had they dedicated a little bit more time to going into some detail on the lifestyle and the in the people and things like that, it would have been better. But it just feels like it's just constantly falling a step short. So I give it a C plus. Yeah, I'm I'm in the same boat. C plus for me. It feels like there's something there. There's a, a vital element that they are missing that they didn't concentrate on. Like there's something they should have done. Um, you know, they should I, I, less of the smush character, I think, because we got that. We got it. And more of the Idris Elba, because I, I mean, there's there's a scene and I, we played it in the trade in the, the preview here where uh, Caleb McLaughlin talks. He, he he kind of gets after Idris Elba for being a father to everyone else in the in the community except for him. Mm-hmm. And it's true, but you don't ever really see that resentment build. Yeah until that one scene um so it yeah it's just missing something but it is on netflix now um yeah and it, it, it's got some good performances but it's i think it's just overall a little little lacking all right any uh that is uh it for this week that was a great segue that's it for this week what's happening next week cody uh i don't i don't know there's a there's a movie opening called voyagers it's a it's um Colin Farrell and uh, it's a Neil Berger directed movie um, with Colin Farrell and Ty Sheridan and Lily Rose Depp. Um, oh I, boy. I don't know that it's going to come, if we'll have access to it. If we do, we might cover that. And then there's a couple other small movies. So either we'll take the, the week off or we'll have um, that masterpiece. <laughs> Maybe we'll take the week off. Um, anyway, the, if you want to read The reach- movie poster is really steamy. Mm. Uh, last movie I saw Lily Rose Depp in, I don't know if it was her last movie, was uh, Yoga, Yoga Hosers. Hosers. Yeah. Yeah. Anywho, uh, if you want to reach us, you can email us at podcast at cinesnob.net. Find us on Twitter at cinesnob, Facebook, cinesnob critic. Uh, no, cinesnob net. I always screw that up. Um, this is our other podcast, ReMCU. Uh, Quarantine stream's still out there. Um, as we're finally ending quarantine, it's still out there. Yeah. Um, Cody, you've got the ramble. Yeah, Ramble, regular Ramble radios are on Wednesdays, uh, Ramble radios Tuesdays and Fridays, Goodwill Hunting on Thursdays. Thursday, all right. Uh, Jocelyn's taking care of her baby. Mm-hmm. He, she posted a picture of him in his Easter bunny costume. Yeah, he's going to resent that someday. You know... God, Mom, why you dress me up like a bunny? I'm a, I'm a badass. I don't know what I was trying to get up with that, so. <laughs> Anyway, as he's eating uh, his baguette and brie, he's got his twirly mustache and uh, yeah. Anyway, French. That's a French joke. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, all right. On that note, I'm Jared Kingery. And I'm Cody Viafania. Thank you for listening to the Cine Snob podcast. To read reviews, interviews and more, visit CineSnob.net. See you next week.